This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello and welcome to The Morning Break. My name is Graham Stanley, and my special guest today is Kalyan Chattopadhyaye, an associate professor, teacher trainer, and learning technologist based in Kolkata, India. One of Kalyan's special interests is ICT, so we'll be talking about learning technologies in India, among other things. Please join us live if you can and take part in the conversation. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome to the morning break everyone. I'm Graham speaking to you live from Mexico City. As I mentioned in the intro to the show today, I'll be talking live to Kalyan Chattopadhyay, who will be joining me live from Kolkata in India. I've known Kalyan for some time now. We met through our shared interest in language learning technologies and coincided online and have also met in person at events such as the IATEFL conference in the UK and also once in India at the Asia Call Conference in Gujarat back in 2010. We haven't spoken for some time, so I'm looking forward to catching up and finding out what he's been up to. Kalyan is an associate professor, teacher trainer and learning technologist. And apart from ICT, he's particularly interested and involved in action research, in-service teacher training at state-run institutions, among other things. I'll be talking to Kalyan right after the Teacher Talk Radio News. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. A London council has waded into the ongoing debate over free school meals by writing to the government calling for the eligibility threshold for secondary school children to be almost tripled. It is currently set at £7,400 but the letter from Southwark Council suggests a rise to £20,000 per year. The letter, quoted in the Evening Standard, calls on the Secretary of State for Education, Kit Malthouse, 
to act now to avert a calamitous hunger crisis. It urges the government to initiate universal free school meals for primary age pupils alongside the raise of income threshold for secondary pupils. The letter coincides with calls from Feed the Future, a coalition of campaigning organisations coordinated by the Food Foundation, for the government to extend free school meals to all children living in poverty in England. This appeal is also in line with national food strategy recommendations, which were released earlier this year. STV News reports on how teachers, parents and young people from across Scotland are to be asked for their views on plans to reform the country's education system. A consultation has been launched as part of an independent review of qualifications and assessments, which was first announced in 2021. The review is being led by Louise Hayward, Emeritus Professor at Glasgow University, and it will provide advice for ministers to consider in March 2023. It is hoped the consultation will gather opinions on the balance between exams and other forms of assessment, as well as how a wider range of learners' achievements can be recognised. The consultation will close on December the 16th this year. Professor Haywood said that the reviews of qualifications and assessment offers Scotland an opportunity to look to the future, whilst Education Minister Shirley-Ann Somerville said the review and consultation process had a clear purpose in improving experiences and outcomes in education. In Northern Ireland, two primary schools have created an animation focusing on children's mental health. The animation is called Our We Thoughts and Feelings and was created by pupils from Elm Grove and Christ the Redeemer Primary Schools. The animation was created through Our Generation, funded by an EU Peace 4 project and led by Action Mental Health. The project also received funding from the Executive Office. The project aims to build positive relations and emotional resilience in children and young people. Pupils completed the Better Together programme, learning about friendships, empathy and breathing techniques to help manage feelings. The animation workshops were held in both schools with children travelling between the east and west side of the city. The objective of the Our Generation project is growing up better together and is currently being delivered on both sides of the border. Its core aim is to build positive relations and emotional resilience in communities impacted by the troubles. Earlier this month, we reported on the three dads walking as they campaigned to get suicide prevention on the school curriculum in all four home nations. One of the three dads, Mike Palmer, who lost his daughter to suicide, has now won a Pride of Britain Special Recognition Award. Mike and the other two dads, Andy Airy and Tim Owen, have secured 127,000 signatures for their online petition, which should now prompt a debate in the House of Commons. The Pride of Britain Awards will be broadcast on ITV on the 27th of October. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to talk about the power of a like. You know that little thumbs up symbol or the little red heart? In the news, young people are finding a reply to a message with a thumbs up as annoying and are looking to avoid using it. Why? Well, you pour your heart out, take the time to construct, punctuate, even find a gif that matches the mood to get a thumbs up returned faster than the time it takes to read the message. Laughy face emojis are another questionable reply. Are you one of these people? And do you need to consider how you reply to messages or not? Before we get all emoji and all, oh, see what 
I did there. I would like to share the true power of a like. I don't have that many followers on Twitter. It's always a nice surprise when I take a look to see someone has liked something I've said. However, this week, I had the best like of my life. I was asked to be keynote on the ICT for Education conference in Manchester, and while I was there, I took a selfie with Professor Miles Berry, who is Professor of Computing and Education at the University of Roehampton, and has lots of kudos in the computing world. When I checked on Twitter later that day, I saw that none other than Martin Dugimas, founder and CEO of Moodle, Moodle is an open source virtual learning platform, he had liked my tweet. Martin Dugimas is one of my computing heroes, and he liked my tweet. I do think, actually, he was liking the fact that Miles was tagged into it, but I'm just going to brush over that part. The point I'm making here is liking and reacting is a powerful thing. It may be annoying that you get a heart or a thumbs up or an okay hand back, but you got a reply. Acknowledgement that I have this and thanks for sending. Acknowledgement that I'm busy and will read this later. So yes, sometimes liking a message may be seen as a lazy way out, but is it not better than getting nothing back at all? I'd love to hear your thoughts on the emoji response. In fact, I'll be tweeting about this this week. Please like it or even take the time to reply. As always, tag in at TT Radio 2022. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome back to Teachers Talk Radio. This is the morning break and I'm here today with today's very special guest, Kalyan. Are you there? Hello, Kalyan. Speak to me. It looked as if everything was working, but I can't hear you. Typical. We did a, um, a rehearsal the other day and it worked fine but it doesn't seem to be working now. Kalyan, um, perhaps you can try refreshing your browser. Exactly, thank you, Tom. Uh, that is usually the case. If you refresh your browser and then try again, it should work with a bit of luck. That's usually the, the, uh, the trick. So if you wanna do, oh, Kalyan, has gone. Oh, there we go. Karen, I'm going to invite you again as a speaker. Uh, there you are. Karen, are you there? I can definitely see you, but I can't hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. Can you hear me? Okay. Yep. Great. We did it. So how are you, yep. Kalyan? Yeah, I'm fine. Uh, and first of all, uh, thank you, Graham, for inviting me for this uh, conversation. Pleasure. And I was checking teacher stock radio conversations that you already organized. They were marvelous, very oh, uh, informal and uh, uh, they are very rich in terms of insights that um, most of the conversation shared. Um, I'm looking forward to some exciting conversation today. And good morning, good afternoon, good evening to all of you. For me, it's good afternoon. It's around 3.42 p.m. And in the for me... It's very much it's very much a good morning at five twelve a.m. Oh, so that's great! Quite a difference. 
Sir Callian, what have you been up to recently? Um, after this uh, terrible, terrible phase of COVID, mm. um, the institutions have opened and I'm back to the classroom, meaning real world classroom. But before that, for the last two years, I was in the online classroom. Yes, like like most pe most people in in the world as well. So how how was that experience um, for you? I mean, it was very I, I difficult think... for for everyone. I know, but but how how did you find it? Was it something that um, that you and your colleagues and the learners adapted to quite easily, or was it was it quite a trial? I think. Uh there are so many shreds here the first thing that i would like to mention is that my learners were completely new to online learning system right, right. they didn't have any idea to give you a background of my learners uh, 80 percent of them live in the vicinity of sundarbans which is one of the largest mangroves in the world and so they have uh, that kind of a low resource problem, meaning lack of uh, internet, 2G internet, not even 3G. So it was a quite of a challenge at the initial stage in terms of access. The second thing is my colleagues, I think a majority of them were very much averse to online learning when uh, they were in the pre-COVID period. So all sort of ICT interventions that I talked about or management talked about was taken with a pinch of salt. And uh, this COVID actually uh, changed them completely because they have no other option but to reach out to their learners. A teacher is a teacher by heart. And so uh, a teacher does not want to sit at home and, you know, uh, not to reach out to learners. So after a couple of months, so for example, in the month of April and May in 2020, I found most of the teachers were looking for platforms where they could uh, reach out to their learners quite easily. Now, initial stages, they started with WhatsApp, forming WhatsApp group of learners and sharing sort of written down notes, lessons, materials with them. And gradually we shifted to Google Classroom completely and we used Google Meet and Zoom simultaneously. So I would say that the takeaway from the COVID was uh, the, the, the kind of resistance that we experienced in the pre-COVID era were completely gone. And there is now more acceptance of technology because they saw what technology could do. And right now, many of the teachers uh, are taking this opportunity to reach out to their learners online even in the institution where we always had face-to-face -face meetings, nowadays we have online meetings 
or even face to blended sort of meetings where people who are absent on the day join in online to us. So things have changed considerably, something that many of us couldn't imagine. For me, as you know, um, because my background is ICT in education, so um, uh, I actually, uh, I, I, for me, it, it, it was uh, not a new experience to use Zoom or uh, Meet to reach out to uh, learners, but as a, as a part of the institution, uh, along with my colleagues, reaching out to learners was a quite a significant achievement, uh, I would say. Wow, yeah, that sounds quite, you, you've been through quite a journey there. And uh, it's really interesting to hear that uh, subsequently, uh, your colleagues, etc. And there's, uh, there's more of an appetite for using technology. I imagine you were in a good position to help them, given your background and interests with ICT in the classroom. Yeah, uh, because uh, I was given the task of uh, actually doing a kind of a peer support, meaning uh, talking to teachers and, you know, supporting them as and when they need support. But at the same time, uh, I was also taking regular classes with them. Um, so uh, both of these things were going on. And it, uh, I would say that I spend more time for my institution in the pre-COVID area than I spent in, uh, sorry, in, in, in during the COVID phase than I spent in the pre-COVID area. So um, for me, there was a greater involvement, both uh, emotionally because uh, ICT in intervention in education was so close to me. And uh, another thing I would like to talk about is that uh, when the COVID was raging in globally, that means in April 2020, in India, we, we got the National Education Policy 2020, mm. which I'll talk about. And that education policy, um, although it was framed uh, in 2019, 18, uh, the, the draft came out, there were discussions, but in 2020, the need for ICT intervention and whatever the policy was framed was felt to be really, really important for us as Indians. So the national education policy, um, how is that dealing with the use of technologies, for example, in teaching and learning? I think one of the things you may have heard or read in the newspapers also, that uh, in India is undoubtedly uh, one of the leader in terms of information communication technology, um, whether it comes to space, whether it comes to, um, you know, offering uh, cutting edge solutions, IT solution uh, to different financial companies, so and so. But, um, and incidentally, incidentally, Graham, the British Prime Minister today, meaning the person who is yes. going to be the British Prime Minister, he's 
uh, actually father-in-law is a founder of a very famous IT company, Infosys. So um, an Indian IT company. So digital India is something that we are campaigning, but it is not coming to the education field. So India might be an advanced country in terms of use of ICT in other domains, but when it comes to using it in education, we were certainly lagging behind. So the national education policy aims to bridge the gap and, you know, to removing, uh, you know, two barriers, I would say, in particular. One barrier is uh, coming from the educators themselves that, uh, you know, chalk and talk is the best method and there's the best, there is nothing better than uh, facing the student in real life context and, uh, in, in, you know, um, imparting education. That is the kind of a, a psychological barrier. And the other barrier was, um, of course, a language barrier because India is a multilingual country. So, so as a multilingual country, there is a language barrier. In different parts of the country, there are different languages. So ICT could be a great leveler. So um, the, the, the policy actually underpins that realization that we need to remove these barriers, increasing access, not just to students in the remote areas, but also specially able children because the, the numbers are rising. And um, so in terms of planning and management, there was a great thirst for technological intervention. Now, if I want to briefly sum up uh, within a minute that where these interventions are coming, the first intervention is coming in teaching, learning and evaluation system or process. So how we teach, with technology, how learners learn with technology and how to bridge the gap and how we evaluate learners using technology. And then along with it is comes the other very important area that is supporting teacher preparation and teachers professional development. How do we prepare teachers to use technology with their learners and colleagues and in their professional development? Right. And what sort of technologies they should use? Now, in order to do that, there is the realization and the policy focuses on that we have to enhance the access and the access at least at the educational institutional level, the access to technology. Now, uh, the access to technology earlier meant installation of hardware. So if you have a computer, a whiteboard, a smart board, interactive smart board, and then you have it. So now the concept is changing. It is that um, you can use your own device and you can get connected. So in my class, for example, students are not carrying any books anymore. I think uh, only in, you know, 15 to 20 percent classes they are bringing books most they are bringing ebooks and they are in the in their mobiles so they are coming with that and there is no you know uh, restriction on students using 
mobiles although i am from the higher educational background so uh, there is no bar on students and students can use institutional access from their mobiles by using the wi-fi password and do that so and the other two things that i have talked about removing the uh, language barriers to, to sum up the thirst of the technological uh, ict intervention in the days to come as per the policy will be in the teaching learning and evaluation first along with it in the teacher preparation and teachers professional development enhancement of access to technology at the institutional level and also um, streamlining the management process by using ERP solutions and learner management solutions, removing the language barriers, barrier-free education system, and putting in enough support for specially able children or learners. Interesting. So, Kalyan, this um, the policy does it stretch to trying to improve access and. Uh, dealing with ICT in all levels of education or is it just mainly university level or tertiary level or does it go down as far as the school level as well and how 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 young does it go or does it go down to primary I think uh, the pedagogy of learning is changing so for example uh, even at the school level uh, I think the way we teach our learners is changing and the curriculum is also getting changed because of this uh, national education policy and there are a couple of things which are coming. The first thing that is coming is that use of a disruptive technology like artificial intelligence and virtual reality. But the first right now is not in terms of direct use of AI, but uh, on research with AI. For example, uh, the use of um, you know, AI in academic writing or um, uh, so what are the things uh, that may work and what are things may not work? That means we are encouraging research on it and uh, there will be funding on research with uh, to assess the impact of disruptive technology and education both at the school level and at the higher education level in terms of um, you know supporting schools and colleges that's actually uniform that means in the post-COVID area, the support that the government gave to schools and to higher academic institutions, they were almost at the same level. But in the schools, the need was greater than in the higher educational institutions. Great, thank you. Um, so, Kalyan, what about the use of learning technologies in the country? What what is um, what are currently the technologies that teachers and students typically use for language learning, for example? Uh, language learning, um, I would say that there are some localized 
apps which learners are using rather in an informal context. That means mm -hmm. uh, it's not very systematic. And there are so many private players now. They have produced numerous apps and they are enticing learners who actually hook up in those apps. Now, these apps uh, uh, function in, in a couple of different ways. Some of these apps are actually hiring, um, you know, uh, good proficient speakers of the language and facilitating live interactions with learners. Some of the apps are actually, you know, uh, using at their back end a sort of a management system to uh, give them materials and things. And uh, that is going on to a large extent. I think uh, more than web-based sort of learning, app-based, mobile-based sort of learning is on the rise right now in the uh, in India, and um, uh, the COVID actually contributed to it a lot. The COVID actually, um, you know, in a way, um, uh, you have to you have to look at it from three different uh, perspectives. The first perspective was that in COVID there was examination. For example, mm -hmm. uh, so in terms of evaluations, basically we were not equipped to deal with this huge number of learners and conduct a formative or summative evaluation, right? Mm -hmm. So what we started doing, um, we started first of all using Google Form to, um, you know, do the formative assessment and sharing the link in WhatsApp. But then the question came that how do we ensure that that particular learner is actually taking the assessment at that particular time, somebody else is not doing the work for him or her. So uh, the one suggestions that came up that they will have to come to Google Meet or Zoom with their camera on as we are sharing the link with them and uh, the teacher will invigilate through uh, the Google Classroom or, uh, you know, uh, sorry, through Google Meet or Zoom. Now, that idea was not that successful because as I've said that some of my students um, had challenged circumstances with a very poor internet access. So mm -hmm. um, what we uh, could do about it. So we, we started uh, using, um, you know, uh, some uh, recording uh, the, because every mobile has got a voice recorder. So yeah. we, we said that, okay, we are sharing the link in WhatsApp right and you you can record your response orally and send it to your teacher within that particular time so we know that that's the particular learner 
who has actually responded to it. So in a way, we try to minimize, you know, um, um, the authenticity. <laughs> Sorry, mm -hmm. we try to minimize uh, a bit of a, a, you know corruption with the system as far as practical. Then the other challenge was, which we uh, were not able to cope with because we didn't have any learning management system as such, like Blackboard or Moodle to cope with it. So um, we had the challenge of taking the summative examination with learners giving the summative examination sitting at home. So the universities shared the questions. So the question paper came online five minutes before the examination, the learners downloaded it and <clears throat> then they started writing on paper and after completing it, they uploaded in the portal that we created. The answers on time is a portal. So say for example, from 10 o'clock to one o'clock, there is a three hour summative examination and the students must upload by um, half an hour at the end of examination. So you have half an hour. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, to upload your answer scripts and that answer script uh, will be checked by the teachers in that portal. So instead of a learning management system, what what we were able to develop uh, first of all not uh, uh, as a part of the whole educational system in the state but as an individual institution is a kind of an online portal where the learners can upload their uns written answer scripts and the teachers can check those answer scripts right live online and mark them and create the mark sheet and the mark sheet was finally uploaded to the university system. So that is how we, we tried to look at the evaluation system. But uh, to me, it seemed uh, is a kind of a compromise of an ideal system and uh, a system which is workable, right? Which worked in our context, but is a system which has a lot of vices in it because we couldn't rule out the corruption. We could not rule out the fact that the students plagiarized or copied from the book or from other sources because the, the questions that were set by the university were the questions that the university is, uh, you know, developing for the last uh, 50, 60 years. So, the same traditional question setup, which had no way to test the, 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 the sort of knowledge of the students where they have no access or have access to everything. So uh, you may call it an open book system. So this question paper was not meant for open book system, but bas basically we had the open book system, but we tried to minimize the uh, unfortunate interventions as far as possible. That's uh, fascinating. I love the way that you 
um, have collectively tried to sort of get around this identification of the students uh, for examination purposes, etc. Sounds like it, it, it must must have been quite a process. Kalyan, I would like to step back back a little bit now, and um, okay. I'd love to to ask you more about your own personal journey in education. Um, mm-hmm. We've never talked about how you became involved and interested um, in to become an educator and English language teaching, etc. And then, and also what particularly interested you in ICT for learning and teaching? I'd love to hear more about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's a very long story, um, but I, I, I'll cut it short uh, for all of you. Um, since my first MA was on English literature. So after completing my first MA, I appeared in the national examination. And as I appeared in the national examination for qualification, uh, because there is a national examination and you have to be qualified in the national examination to become a college or university lecturer. And uh, as I appeared in that, I was uh, lucky to get an appointment in a secondary school uh, to teach English. And I started teaching English with uh, 10 to 12 year old kids and then gradually progressing to 15 to teenagers also. Now, as I started teaching them, I I discovered to my utter dismay that I need to adopt different kind of pedagogies for them because the same set of things are not working for uh, for these groups, right? One is a kind of a rather senior young learners and other is a group of teenagers and my uh, educational background that is learn uh, in english literature is also not helping me that much but when i pose these questions to all my other colleagues who are english teachers they said we also come from the same background because in no university here in the state you will get a degree or diploma where you are taught how to teach English language. You are uh, given a foundational course, advanced courses on English literature. And it is widely believed that if you know literature, then you can teach language. So teaching language is just a joke. It's nothing serious. So a master's in English literature can easily teach English language at any level. Now, um, I begged to differ with them, but I couldn't argue because they were the ma- in the majority. Luckily, I um, qualified in the national uh, examination for college and university lecturership. And after around 16 or 18 months, I got appointed in a university college. Now, when I got appointed in a university college, I now got the undergraduate and the postgraduate students, and I was supposed to teach them literature. So 
the struggle started with the undergraduate students when i tried to teach them shakespeare's macbeth i found that um, they don't have the sufficient vocabulary with them their proficiency is very low and with that low proficiency they are not able to understand the text itself and so what they are doing they are using books which are we call them made easy that means um, which is actually a kind of a simpler translated version of the elizabethan english right, right. so it's, it's, it's like bible translated into american english so uh, so they were reading those things and they were missing the flavor of the language and also missing the cultural context so it was a daunting task for me so i decided to give them on my own some uh, functional components of the english as a pre-sessional course that means if you take admission in english honors then yeah. you have to do a, a two months course with me as you go along right so to develop their academic writing to develop their reading i i started doing that and as i started doing that i was not only relying on internet resources because internet i'm talking about uh, 1999 and 2000 internet at that time was not that reliable resource so i was also relying on so many books on how to teach english and these books were basically available in british council library in kolkata and also in the national library kolkata which has a huge collection of it so i started looking at them nobody was looking at them and tried to develop courses of my own now as i started developing these courses my interest in language teaching grew and i started giving conference presentations um, in the different parts of the states within india and then in 2005 6 onwards I started giving presentations outside India as well. Now, I was sharing my experiences of doing things and was learning from them. And whatever I was learning, I was trying to put them in practice and contextualize them. Now, as it grew, I got an opportunity to apply for a scholarship, which is known as Hornby Trust Scholarship. That is a scholarship which is given to around 10 to 12 scholars. Um, from uh, different parts of the world and uh, you get fully funded for one year masters in um, language teaching in a uk university in a uk university so <clears throat> in a uk university <clears throat> so what i did um, i chose a course on english language teaching with technology which was available with the university of leeds mm. and when i was applying for that course in 2007 i have already met gary mortram and others and gary was also encouraging me to uh, putting up applications and he was wondering why i should not be funded for manchester university why i should have to go for leeds and all these things discussions going on now 
coming to Leeds, my first IITFL conference was in Harrogate, and that put me in touch with some of the uh, uh, great practitioners of learning technologies in education. And that uh, inspired me further to carry out my work and to carry out my research later. So that, that's, that's my journey uh, in a brief. Fascinating, Kalyan. Thanks for sharing that. That was very interesting. And um, these days, is there a particular technology that's caught your attention for use in learning or teaching? Is there something that you think uh, people should know about or people should explore a bit further? I'm currently working on um, a number of open source AI writer, right? for academic writing, uh, because as you know, I am in the higher education system. So academic writing is something which is, uh, I have to deal with uh, now and then. And I feel this open source AI have great uh, potentiality. So I, ha I, I have got funded on to work on two projects which have started working, looking at um, these aspects how uh, one is on with the school students and one is with the higher academic uh, institutions. Interesting. And what is it about the AI for writing that appeals to you then? Um, wouldn't, isn't that sort of relying upon the technology to actually do the writing? Um, actually, uh, What the AI text generator, as we call it, does, it does multiple sort of things in one go. First of all, uh, it gives you hints on, on, on your idea. So I have an idea and it gives you multiple hints. So you generate a lot of um, hints. For example, if you want to describe um, a fighter plane, and uh, that gives you a lot of an ideas that um, how you should begin, how you should continue. And then uh, that also gives you uh, uh, some citations, um, uh, citations to, you know, work on and to, you know, verify or validate your informations to check the accuracy of the information um, and how far the content is relevant or the text is relevant. Uh, or unique um, but AI generated text is also um, social media friendly so it is SEO friendly and it can be shared with everything and it can also be directly published to um, websites or platforms like say WordPress or so and so um, but at the same time um, it has the um, the negative side currently of being a, a kind of a de facto writer for for students. So mm -hmm. there is a counter argument that if you uh, allow your learners to use AI text generator for um, their academic writing, then they will stop learning 
for example, the usages of grammar, the usages of uh, syntax, um, and the pragmatic uh, choice of words. So they will lose the nuances of the language and uh, it, it will be a kind of an arbitrary, authoritative sort of a tool um, which they will work with. Now, I, I'm looking at these things to, uh, to different writers with different capacities to see that how this can be, um, you know, um, further programmed to, um, to make learner-friendly and learning-friendly. So, and both learner-friendly and learning-friendly, and how it can offer a kind of an optimal benefits to learners um, without compromising on um, the writing abilities of them. That's, that's interesting. I think all teachers will have to come to terms with the fact that these tools will be more popular, there'll be more of them in in the future. And I suppose, you know, one way of looking at it, as, as I understand what you're doing, is looking at how this type of AI can support uh, students, can support writing uh, and writers in the future. And, and that is a kind of real world use for it, isn't it? Because I think we're going to have more and more of that uh, as time goes on. Yeah, uh, actually, see, uh, Graham, uh, we cannot stop the advancement of technologies. Technologies, as I have seen, experienced and used, um, they are not just meant for educational purposes. Uh, we actually repudiate them. We actually, you know, put them to use to our context. Um, so we repurpose them. So, for example, Google Doc, it's not created for uh, me to use for my learners, but we use it. And now the Google Classroom has come. Now, so this kind of a repurposing of uh, technology is very important. So whether I like it or not, or whether my colleagues like it or not, that is AI takes generator in the next uh, decade will rule the writing domain. Now, how we can sensitize our learners on its use and how we can um, optimize the benefits of it for our learners is the main thing without compromising their abilities to learn the nuances of the language. So that's something I'm trying to find a kind of a compromise before we are flooded and overwhelmed by these text generators. Yes, that, uh, that's really interesting. I think um, it also reminds me, we're at a time that reminds me of when I was um, uh, a young teen growing up and calculators started appearing. And there was this debate about whether we should actually bring calculators into the classroom because uh, perhaps it wasn't good for students to rely upon calculators. And it's funny how, you know, I don't think people would dream of not using a calculator if they had it available to them, really. Yeah, I, 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 in, uh, um, last month I did a small experiment with uh, some of my students on uh, with two AI text generator. Uh, 
um, I, 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 I give them um, a kind of a literary text <laughs> um, and ask them to, 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 um, to develop certain ideas and to come up with uh, it uh, um, within the classroom context. So what happened, uh, they very enthusiastically attended to that. Not only that, the motivation level was very high because they were doing something new and they were able to do with it. And each of them got some new ideas. And I wondered later on that even in course of my class, I do not play with all these ideas at the same time. So what actually happened that within a passage of 10 minutes, my learners came up with say that, um, 20, 30 ideas that uh, I do not usually explore in my class. So, right. Yeah. Right. So we, we, we are going to, uh, uh, to be in a world very soon and we are already where there is an infotension because of this info influx. So there is a lot of information and that gives them the kind of filtering literacy that, okay, out of these 30 ideas, we should deal with these three ideas. So when they learn that they have to deal with these three, not with these 30, the 27 are rubbish. That is something of their learning. Yeah, that's, uh, that's very interesting, I think. Um, Kalyan, we have, we're coming, we've got about five minutes left uh, before the show ends, um, or a little bit longer, if, if, if you can and if we can. But um, we have people listening in, and we have some people in the studio as well, and one in particular um, who is called Avilia uh, from the UK would like to join us um, in the conversation. If that sounds all right, I'm going to bring her in. And uh, I think she may have questions or comments to make about what okay. you've been talking about. Sure. So Avilia, if you're there, yes, you're still there. I'm going to invite you as a speaker. And um, well, please introduce yourself and let us know um, if you have any questions for Kalyan. Um, yes. Um, so this is not about the subject about Kalyan, but I just want to, I just want to ask you about us teachers. Yeah. Can I, can I like ask you a question about sure. another? Of course. So it's, I, I think it's a very, I, don't, I think it's, so I've been thinking for a past like one hour, like to ask you, um, I think this is a very inappropriate question, but I don't know. But like, I don't want to ask you about students and the anxiety. Students' anxiety. What What is the question exactly? So, um, so, um, so many um, schools in the UK have banned chewing gum and um, basically um, my friends they asked me um, why do they ban chewing gum and it actually helps them concentrate um, with um, um, the, it actually helps them concentrate with their and like fix things and like makes them like like get less panic attacks yeah well i think i don't know Kalyan, what you think but definitely there's definitely seems to have been a rise in 
anxiety amongst students. I think the pandemic and all of the stresses and strains um, on on learners were uh, exacerbated uh, during that time. And so I'm not exactly sure about the banning of chewing gum and what it has to do with it, but I can see that there are certainly ways in which anxiety can be um, dealt with, I think. I don't know, Kalyan, have you seen a rise in, in India in the anxiety that students have, have, have felt? Yeah, um, uh, I think uh, d- during the COVID phase in the last two years, w- we had to counsel a lot of students and we opened WhatsApp groups uh, with uh, teachers from the, uh, uh, particularly from the philosophy and psychology department. They used to uh, do a lot of counseling of students, but uh, the counseling came uh, uh, because uh, they were not able to catch up with their syllabus. They were not um, uh, sure about how their examination is going to take place. Um, so all sorts of anxieties. And when now they are back in the classroom, um, the anxiety comes from a, a different uh, level because that's fu- uh, in a way funny, but that's striking because many students pleaded with me, sir, can't we go back? to the COVID period examination model because that was uh, giving us an opportunity to sit relaxed in our home and give the examination. And now we have to go to a different center, a different institution and appear in the written examination within three hours or two hours and have to submit a scripts. The scripts will be checked by um, teachers from other institutions and will be evaluated. So their anxiety of being evaluated by external examiner and that they have to appear in a context which they didn't, some of them didn't um, because they joined in the institution in the COVID period and continued. So that anxiety related to their examination is at the highest level right now. So, and um, I, I, I'm not the authority, I, I, I can't talk much about uh, the children, but um, I can talk about as a father, because I have a 13-year-old um, daughter who, who is actually going to school. And when I look at her anxiety level, she was rather relaxed in the COVID period. And now her anxiety in going to school and you know, performing the tasks, and um, all these things have gone up quite a significant uh, level. Unfortunately, there is no um, actually mechanism at place right now to address them. That's interesting. I think I, I didn't sort of never thought about that before, but of course, yeah, there, there are there are definitely students who have felt greater anxiety because they were at home during the pandemic and the, with the schools closed. But also there'll be others, as you say, um, who actually it's more anxious. They're more anxious now that they have to return to the the, the classroom or the school. They've probably become sort of used to working from home or studying from home. I don't know, Avilia, is that something you've experienced or you've seen uh, students have have that? Yes, 
I've uh, actually have um actually I'm a student myself and I've actually okay. got a lot of anxiety coming into school uh, coming into the school because I don't know what's gonna be like after the COVID pandemic. So of course everyone's gonna get a little bit of anxiety. Okay, what are you studying, Abelia? Pardon. What are you studying, or where are you studying in the, in the UK? Is it what particular area? Uh, is it in England? Yes, it's in England. Okay, so we're coming to the end of the hour, so I'm going to wrap things up now. Kalyan, is there any last thing we haven't had the chance to talk about that you'd like to mention? Uh, no, I, I think we had a very comprehensive conversation today. Okay. Thank good. you. Ben. Thank you. Thank you, Kalyan, for joining me. And thank you, Avilia, for joining us as well. It's been nice to speak to you, albeit briefly. You're welcome. So that brings us to the end of today's morning break, everyone. Many thanks uh, to Kalyan for being our special guest today. And all of you who joined us live listening um, and in the studio, including Avilia. And remember, there are Teachers Talk radio shows all week. And the next show will be with us, I think, in a few hours. I haven't checked exactly who is um, who is the host. I should have done that. Apologies, everybody. But that will give you a chance to check out the website and uh, and see what there is in store. If you would like to join me again next week, I will be here, hopefully live. Bye for now. Bye, Graham. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.